You're listening to Cards to the Moon, a podcast about trading cards from both a collector and investor perspective. We hope you'll stick around for the ride as we take a deep dive into the state of the hobby, share some hot takes, hopefully some useful advice and fun stories along the way. Hey guys, welcome back to Cards to the Moon. This is episode 148, and my name is Clark from 5cardguys.com and 5cardguys on Instagram. With me co-hosting as usual is Hyung of Integrity Sports Cards and John, who is Trade You at Recess. Today we have a special guest on the show. His name is Samuel C. Evans, aka at the Sports Card Collector on Instagram. It's not how, how you think you spell it, so we'll put that in the show notes below. I think you'll enjoy this interview we had with Samuel, especially if you're a fellow hobby content creator. With nearly 8,000 followers on IG, we asked him about his process and how he does it on top of a full-time job as an educator. And if you're more of a collector than an investor, you'll probably relate more to his hobby journey as he reflects on his experience as a collector, including the people he's met along the way and how some of them even helped him complete the 1986 Fleer basketball set. So that was a pretty cool story he shared in the interview. Um, So stick around for that. But first, off the top, I wanted to quickly touch upon the news of Live and the PGA merging. All right, I know this is golf news that happened a few weeks ago and we didn't get a chance to talk about it yet. Um, But I was reminded of this because I saw a recent statistic on the Collectibles Guru's Twitter page uh, that there has been 11 sales of golf carts that sold for more than 100,000. All right, it's for 11 sales of golf carts that sold for at least six figures. And 10 of 11 are of just one golfer. Um, And it might actually just be, I thought it was one card, but it's probably two cards when I checked. So obviously you probably know who that golfer is, Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods, yeah. And uh, yeah, and um, and uh, the card that sold for six figures multiple times is the SP Authentic Auto Gold, which is numbered to a hundred, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a, I guess there's a base number to nine hundred, and it's autographed as well. And I think one or two of those sold for at least a hundred k. So ten Crazy. of those eleven sales are all Tiger Woods of that card variation okay so that's why i want to ask you guys do you think the live pga merge can raise the profile of other golfers so in the future their rookie cards could be worth six figures one day in essence is this merge a good or bad thing for the hobby and by proxy golf carts one no but i'll come back to that who's who's the who's the 11th who's the other Guy I was going to save that, but we can, just, yeah, I'm we can curious. address it. Yeah, okay, we can, we can address it later. No, no, we oh, can, we can, let's, yeah. let's do it now. I, I'm going to say, man, it has to be, I, I was thinking old, old, old school, but then I don't think. Old school, think definitely old school. It, it is old school? Yes, vintage. Vintage, eh? So it, uh, is it a Jack Nicholas? Older. Really? Older. What's a vintage a historic figure in golf? Right. What well, what would be uh when was golf vin- is, are there vintage golf cards? There must be. 
Huh? It must be like a postcard or something. <laughs> <laughs> think Babe um, Ruth style. Yeah, card, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just trying like to think that. of names. Um, you guys are the golfers. Um, there has been, but I don't think you saw it. <laughs> Maybe like you the, did. Maybe you did. I, I don't know. Ben Hogan? No. Mm -mm. I don't know this guy. Okay, go on. Yeah, go. But you might. Okay, I'll give you another clue, all right? Um, according to this bio, he founded and helped design the Augusta National Golf Club, and he co-founded the Masters Tournament. Co-founded the Masters Tournament. Oh. I know about the Masters, so obviously this guy's a legit in the golf world man i'm 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 drawing a blank clerk you're gonna have to yeah, me too the answer i'm sure I we have golf answer. huh <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure there's golfers that are listening to this podcast like screaming out the name but his name is bobby jones bobby, bobby jones. jones yes that's it that's <laughs> i was saying there is a movie on him yes yeah jim caviziel i think what? was uh what what yeah, year was it? Uh, what what year was this card? Do you know? Yep, nineteen thirty-two or like yes, nineteen thirty-two wow. U.S. Caramel Bobby Jones golf card mint PSA nine sold Crazy. for one hundred five thousand. Amazing. The next time Will is on, so the that's one, crazy. He's gonna say he's screaming guy. out Bobby yeah. Jones. So so go. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> going back to your question. I don't think so. It's given, you know, we've talked about, you know, Tiger Woods being the majority of, of sales. And then you have a vintage art piece that is the next uh, six figure sale. It doesn't mean that there aren't opportunities in golf. I just think that there's a long ways to go with golf. Um, specifically, you know, we don't even hear about releases or, you know, anything that it's like, man, I'm, I'm can't wait till SP releases this year or anything like that. Mm. And I think, um, you know, uh, like for me, I, I own a Tiger Woods. John has the same gold SP authentic, the non-auto version, PSA 10. And to me, it's like, that's the pretty much for me, at least my golf investment in, in Tiger Woods. And, um, you know, I, I just don't think that today's market right now will help, um, or even the news will help uh, will help the golf card market in the immediate future. I think there still has to be a lot of things that need to be done for the golf market to prove that it's sustainable. Um, and it doesn't help that we're in a bear market in cards in general. So these secondary sports that you know fall behind to football, basketball, baseball, they're going to be kind of like the the ones that kind of take the hit, right. especially. Uh, just based on supply and demand, right? So I think there's still going to be a demand for Tiger Woods, you know, uh, golfers like Jack Nicholas, golfers like Rory McIlroy. Um, and on John, John has a PMG of Rory. And I remember when he bought it and he, he's done well with it. So there's definitely opportunity, but I don't think specifically the news will have an impact necessarily on the card market in golf. Okay. Yeah. So pre, I mean, pre, for myself previously, uh, obviously I, I had, um, I was a fan of, of the golf space and I thought it would 
would have you know had an opportunity to go up especially with the netflix series which was pretty underwhelming to be honest with season one and i chatted about that mm-hmm. but in this current bear market where a lot of correction is happening and especially niche sports that we've we started to talk about has uh, really taken a hit um, i think it's going to take a lot for golf cards to make any kind of noise at this point and in terms of the the merger itself i mean this is in the golf world, I think people who watch golf sort of knew that this was, at some point, something was going to happen. Either those guys over at Live is going to come back. Hmm. And there's so many memes about this being just exactly like The Office. You know, when Michael, you know, the Michael Scott paper company, and he's like fraudulently saying like, well, we're making a lot of money. It's like literally the exact same situation. So, I mean. Great episode. Yeah, Absolutely. And it, it's it's a blip in the overall PGA world. Like this is just it's gonna it, the news came and it went and it's gonna mean nothing. Yeah. The good is that it's gonna probably be a great Netflix series two, uh, you know, like a season two or maybe I don't know if it's gonna be season two or season three. Right. But it's good. It's good for the Netflix series. But in terms of golf cards, man, I I think. And and the thing that the, the tough part is golf cars is with upper deck, right? And I I don't know how much upper deck would be willing to, especially in a bear market, willing to invest or um, put more into golf cards. Mm. But like Hyung Hyung is saying, is there potential in golf cards? Very very select. I think Tiger Woods is the guy to go for because he is, uh, he's he transcends just golf. He is a goat within all sports. Right. So I think Tiger Woods is the right guy. And other cards. There might be. I mean, I saw, like I was mentioning before, like Colin Morikawa. He it's not even a part of the SP set. It's actually from Goodwin, hmm. and it's the exquisite. It's exquisite rookie auto, yeah. and his exquisite rookie auto raw went for like fifteen hundred bucks. You know, Colin Morikawa, right? Yeah. So I think if if it's the mm-hmm. right, like PMG or exquisite auto, some kind of uh, iconic branding that is married with. A pretty popular golfer i think that could work but in terms of like golf carts in general i i you know unless you're a really big big fan in terms of investment probably yeah probably best to stay away until something bigger happens all right i'm gonna take both your words for it because i know nothing about golf other than you know uh, i hear the news with live and you know of course they're backed by saudi money i'm i'm keeping politics out of it but if they have that much money you know, if they can market it even better than they have, you know, I could see some of these, you know, players raise their profiles, like golf becoming even more mainstream than it is now. Then maybe uh, other golfers that are named Tiger Woods has a chance to get a larger profile in the spotlight. And then, you know, who knows, right? The, the, everything has to break the right way <laughs> to see uh, future six-figure sales. But that's why I want to ask the questions. But you guys know better than... I do where the state of golf is currently. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how not just golf, but niche sports kind of, you know, where the value is in cards when it comes to niche sports. So we'll keep an eye on that. All right. um, Without further ado, then let's run our interview that we had with Samuel C. Evans, a.k.a. the sports card collector. All right, today we have another special guest on the pod. His name is Samuel C. Evans, and you can find him on Instagram with the handle at the Sports Card Collector, which isn't spelled in the conventional way, so we'll link his profile in our show notes below. 
But what stuck out to me personally with this hobby content is that first, Samuel is consistent with creating hobby content and runs on a weekly schedule. And it doesn't surprise me, he's closing in on 8,000 followers on Instagram, which is great. So I think it'll be really valuable for many of our listeners who are thinking of putting out hobby content themselves to see how he manages to do that on top of, I know he has a regular day job, so so that must be a challenge. Uh, Plus, if you look at some of his videos, there's obvious production value that he puts into it so that that I'm sure must take time as well. And uh, second, I like the general tone of positivity in his posts, which seems to be rare these days in, in not just within the hobby, but on the internet in general. And, and third, on our podcast intro, we, we say that we like to talk about cards from both a collector and investor perspective. But sometimes we know we tend to focus more on the investment side of things, which I think is fine. But I know many of us, including myself, we also collect cards that really has more intrinsic value born out of nostalgia. And if you read Samuel's Instagram bio, it says, dope hobby content and the pure nostalgia for collecting. So I hope in this interview, we could talk more from a collector perspective as well. Anyway, without further ado, Samuel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Um, uh, Oftentimes, like when I get uh, DMs from various people who have podcasts, I often think like, man, it takes a lot of courage for people to say, I'm going to start a podcast. I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to interview people. Um, so I, I just appreciate you for thinking of me, um, finding something that resonates with you and giving me an opportunity to tell my story on your platform. It, of course. It means of, a lot. Of course. Yeah. And uh, I really appreciate your time. So works both ways. Um, actually, before we get into your content specifically, I was wondering if we can start from the beginning of your hobby journey. You know, when did you start collecting for how long? Essentially, what is your hobby origin story? So, so my, it's funny you mentioned that because I'm putting together an article right now because I mm-hmm. write for Hobby News Daily about like what I think the hobby should look like, mm. should look like and could be for the next 150 years. So I'm thinking past me because obviously I won't be on the planet. <laughs> right. If I am, that's awesome. But uh, <laughs> 150 years from now, probably not. It's a long time. Um, but, you know, my, my origin story is it's is similar to everyone else who comes into the hobby. That pure moment of about a nosiness or curiosity mm. uh, from a dad, uncle, big brothers. And for me it was my big brothers, you know, uh, okay. going through their sneaker boxes and finding their cards and like, what are these things? And, right. You know, seeing these iconic rookie cards that they had as a kid, mm. um, it really piqued my interest my interest and um you know next thing you know i'm like i want to collect cards um and and you know at the time you know being eight nine years old i had no knowledge of like quote unquote the hobby because we didn't call it the hobby (laughs) in the early 90s you know what i mean but i had no knowledge of cards so it was just pure curiosity intrigue and and then the prior knowledge right i'm an educator the prior knowledge of having these images in my mind of these like athletes that we looked up to Mm. and we saw on tv and that we had posters of them in our room and and you know you you i heard people in my neighborhood talking about them and debating about them and you know just going into that 
that space at that time with that knowledge who's like, oh, wow, I can have, like, I couldn't articulate that as an eight to nine year old, mm. but I can articulate it now, like having this encapsulated moment of this athlete that I look up to yeah, um, and admire. So yeah, that's awesome. For me, for me, uh, it, it was a, it was a no brainer. Hmm. And um, when you say the athlete you looked up to, do you, is there one that just comes to your mind right now? I mean, I, obviously, you know, I collected in the era where, you know, the three most powerful men in the world, all their names was, you know, Mike, Mike Tyson, <laughs> Michael Jordan, right. and, and Michael Jackson, you know. Mm. So, I, you know, I was enamored by Michael Jordan, the psychology of it, yeah. um, you know, whether it was by manipulation or like, just out of pure curiosity, right. you know, yeah. everybody wanted to be like Mike. True. And uh, so, yes, I, I was the MJ collector. And in my neighborhood, you know, my five to 10 block radius at, and especially Letlow Elementary School, mm. everybody in my neighborhood who collected cards, we were all chasing Michael Jordan because, yeah. you know, if you had the best Michael Jordan cards that, that came with some, some bragging rights. Yeah. Clout. Um, respectfully, you know, mm-hmm. um, so you know, that was, that was my journey. However, like, you know, everyone, and maybe it's not everyone, but for me, you know, growing up where I grew up with, growing up where I grew up at, you know, things change, times change, and neighborhoods change, and kids, things that kids used to like, you know, you're you're thrust into like survival mode because Mm. of everything that might be happening around you. And you tend to put things to, to the back burner or whether it's something personal that's going on in your family that, that yeah. impacts you. And, you know, at 12, 13, um, you know, I, I packed up all my cards and threw them away because, huh. you know, I couldn't be a kid anymore. And, you know, it, it always felt like that was some unfinished business. And, you know, I briefly came back to the hobby at 19 when one of my roommates in prep school gave me a binder of his old cards. Okay. But I, I was I was like far removed from collecting at the time. Yeah. I was in love with basketball and wanting to play college basketball and everything. So, mm. um, you know, I, I kept them over the years. And, you know, fast forward to a global pandemic, you know, and lockdown, we're all sitting at home. Right. And after, you know, doing arts and crafts with the family, watching movies, reading, and then not to mention, you know, everything that was going on in, in our, our world in terms of like, social unrest and, and social sure. justice and, and those systemic and structural issues that impact a lot of marginalized groups and you know the things that happened with george floyd you know mm-hmm. you you I, I, you needed that moment to like wh- what's the release what's the ex- escape mm-hmm. and um just going into my uh spare bedroom and, and finding you know, that, that binder of cards and some packs of cards that I picked up from a flea market, right. you know, right before the lockdown happened. Um, it just rekindled this passion yeah. of like all these memories and, and the nostalgia and the joy and the excitement. And uh, at first I was like, I want to be an investor. I want to sell cards because mm. immediately like that was the snapshot. That was the window I looked through. Right when I had to go back to hobby school and say like, what does collecting look like now? Cause the last time I collected, it looked at totally different. Sure. Um, 
and and it and it looked totally different in a way where like we had these organic hobby ecosystems, these cardboard ecosystem systems where we traded, we talked about cards. Mm-hmm. You know, we would get cards from big box stores, but we didn't have any access to like a, a local hobby store or we didn't know anything about like card shows or the publications, the magazines that came out during that time. Right. But I, I had to go back to school and like what's the landscape look like? Yeah. And I, and as I did that studying, I realized I said, ah, this ain't me. I'm I'm not an investor. I'm not a seller. Hmm. Uh, I'm an educator by 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 heart. My passion is to pour into people. My passion is to connect with people and learn their story. And I said, you know what? I'm going to share my hobby story. Yeah. And that was awesome. the birth of the hobby experience and the sports car collector. Yeah, amazing. I really appreciate that story and and the point you made about the hobby being an outlet for so many people, especially during yeah. the pandemic, but uh, you know, in general as well. Like yeah. um, you know, we're kind of uh past the pandemic hopefully and uh yeah, yeah. we're still in the hobby and because yeah. we're finding this that this is a healthy outlet for for many of us. Yeah. And and something that I I I mean, I if someone created it before me, I'll give them all the credit. But just being in this happy space of determining what I want the hobby experience to look mm. like, feel like, and sound like, you know, it, I, I coined this phrase human capital. Now, I know the term human capital as it relates to business right. is totally different. But I looked at that definition and I said, how can I relate this to the hobby? And, and looking at the work that I do as an educator and just in terms of like us coming together as a community, interacting with one another, mm. being intrigued about each other's story as collectors. And, you know, that was the birth of like human capital for me. Love it. So all of us coming together to share our experiences, to listen to one another, to explore one another's story as a collector, to do trades, um, to support one another, to just create that community of, of that two-way transaction of give and take yeah. and not necessarily driven by something monetary, but the fact that we share this commonality as right. collectors. Yeah. So. Amazing. Yeah. It's definitely the best part of the hobby and the best part of this podcast. We've met so many new people that we would never probably have spoken to ever if it wasn't for um, yeah. the hobby. So uh, I want to get a little bit more specific with, um, uh, uh, how you collect. And in one of your posts, you wrote about collecting sets. I think I saw that uh, last week. So I want to ask you, what is it about set collecting that you enjoy? And second, is there a set that you either completed recently or are in the process of completing? And when you're down to your last card, you know, uh, and, and it must be last for a reason. It must be hard to track yeah. down. How hard yeah. is it to chase that card down? Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, as... Going back to my, my first hobby run, I, I was not a set collector because, again, my access to cards were limited, yeah. right? In terms of, like, when mom said I can get something from a big box store or the cards that circulated throughout our community. Mm. And it grew a little bit bigger when I went to Penn Treaty. We would bust the Penn Treaty. And now not only was I collecting with black and brown kids, but I was also collecting with kids who were white. And I got exposed to hockey cards. So right. my world grew a little bit bigger. But, you know, coming back into the hobby and having access to local hobby stores and seeing 
the older generation who's still a part of the hobby and going through that journey of fulfilling and, and sets that they've been collecting or looking to fulfill like and complete for like the past 20 years. I was like, man, I can only imagine what the stories mm. sound like, feel like, and look like, what those moments look like when you get down to the last card. Or it's a huge chase card in that set right. that can sometimes be out of reach and you were in the right place at the right time with the right people and you were able to get that car. And I said, you know what? Yes, I, I have this PC of like all the players that I love and adore from the 90s and even up until modern cards now. But there was those like, as I went back to hobby school and doing that research and learning the hobby from the tobacco era and even past the tobacco, uh, before the tobacco era mm. up until now, there were a lot of sets that stood out to me. Um, and, and one was the 1986, you know, Flair Premier set. And I completed it. Oh, nice. I have all the cards. I have the Jordan. My last card was Car Malone. And it was a journey. And I was able to get that card at the Philly Card Show in, in uh, 2022. And, um, you know, I tell people, yes, it's good to PC an individual player. But it's nothing like going through the process of completing a set. Mm. The opportunity to meet so many people, the opportunity to explore different local hobby stores, the opportunity to go to those small or big card shows, and just the, the journey of the like unknown. Because no set that you chase or want to complete is the same. Right. Like, the, the process isn't the same. Now, the rules of engagement are the same, but the process is, mm. is just so different. And, you yeah. know, it, it gives it gives me something to write about, gives me something to explore. And, it, and even on that journey, it allows me to connect with other people who are doing the same thing I'm doing, and maybe I can help them out. Yeah. Because when I was on my 86 chase, there was a lot of people who sent me cards and I was able to pay it forward and send them cards as well, other people cards as well. Yeah, and uh, that's why I collect sets. I love it's just it. the opportunity to to connect with people, be in that space to understand that journey, and to get to that card that you never thought you could possibly get, but now you True. have it. You know, so yeah. it's, it's exploration. That, that's the best <laughs> way to sum it up. Must feel good for sure. And uh, you know, I was thinking like with with collectors that are coming into the game now, um, either these modern sets are harder to complete sets because the, the checklist is, is greatly expanded. Um, yeah. There's so many parallels. And for me, um, you know, people that listen to this podcast uh, know I'm trying to complete this home field advantage subset from Topps Baseball yeah. that came out last year. And it's a subset, so it's manageable and doable yeah. um, of 30 cards. And what I enjoyed about it the most was not just tracking each card down and you could track a lot of them through ebay these days right i'm not gonna lie yeah but um but the fact that when people know that you're collecting a certain set the, the, their generosity shows they're like oh i got this card that would be perfect for your set they just give it to me you know they don't even yeah. right and that's amazing to see that as well no, it's, it's, it's definitely amazing like when i was when i started my flare premiere 86 87 chase people was like man you're gonna spend a ton of money and i <laughs> i just had this like I had this unwavering optimism that that's not going to be the case. And like, it all started when this like random guy just sent me a message on Instagram and mm -hmm. said, Hey, 
I was reading through your stuff and I saw that you were starting to flare the 86 flare uh, set and I want to help you out. And he sent me like 19 cards. Amazing. And there were like top stars of 19 cards. And I said, how much do I owe you? He said, no, just pay it forward and, and keep being a great collector. Yeah. And, you know, that's what inspired me to continue to tell my story in this space that, yes, I understand that this is a business and it's a, a monetary driven industry. Hmm. But there's so much untapped potential in that other side that only helps the industry sustain itself and gets better. Yeah. And um, I, I, I just think more people need to tap into that. I think those stories need to be told yeah. because they don't happen and and they don't happen in a silo. I think they happen all throughout the hobby. And um, I, I think that needs to be at the forefront. Yeah, more. I agree with you 100 percent. Um, and I know a lot of that hobby experience that you share is makes up a lot of your hobby content. So, um, you know, it's what we do in the podcast to create hobby content. And I kind of want to get a little bit more practical. I feel like as more people do come into the hobby, this is something they want to try out. Um, but it's really easy to give up after a month or two when you don't see uh, immediate traction of, um, yeah. you know, gaining followers and subscribers. So I was wondering if uh, we could take a moment where you can share about how you approach creating hobby content and, and what works for you. Yeah, I, I just do what makes me happy. Mm. And I've said this in every interview I've done. Don't follow me, follow the hobby experience. If yeah. you follow me, thank you. I, I like, I, I do this because one is therapeutic. Mm-hmm. And it has a positive impact on my mental health to to be creative and to, to also be passionate about something um, and to like showcase that passion. So my children can see it and say, you know what, it's OK to be passionate about something. And there's no like age limit on on exploring that passion. Mm-hmm. You can do it any day, any time, any year. And and. Be firm in that passion and be firm in, in that exploration of how you want to share your story as it relates to something sure. you care about. And I don't care what it, it is, whether it's crocheting, buying shoes, or yeah. thrift shopping, everything. If you have a story to tell, tell that story. Um, and for me, I just try to be as my authentic self and share my experiences with the hope that it resonates with someone. And if it resonates with you and you drop me a comment, I, I also want to extend my gratitude for you taking the time to listen, read and drop a comment because mm-hmm. it resonated with you in some way. So for me, it's it's just that I understand the only way that I can truly reach my full potential as a human being in every facet of my life. I have to connect with other human beings. Yeah. Um, and I call that like the human collective. And for us as a society to reach our human collective, we got to come into contact with other human beings. And we do that in many ways in the different facets of our life, mm. whether it be personally um, and professionally. Um, and, and this is something that, you know, I'm, I'm, I believe in, that I'm committed to. And um, again, I'm just enjoying the journey um, and the the, the manifestation of this journey of when, where I started and where I'm at now and, and being able to talk about, you know, my grows and glows in a way that, you know what, if 
I have only one like, that's okay. Mm. If I have 200 likes, that's okay too. Yeah. But I, I don't necessarily do it for that. I just do it that I do it for the reason that these platform gives us an opportunity to explore who we are in an in-depth way. Yeah. And if we can create a community in that exploration or connections in that exploration, then I fulfill my my goal. Yeah. And it allows me to continue to grow as a human being. Yeah. No, great words of advice and and um even your basic point, I totally agree with that. Uh, for content creators, you have to be, um, you have to enjoy what you're doing, <laughs> because yes. because um, yeah, if you're if you're doing it for the likes and subscribes, that could be discouraging very very quickly, yeah. and um, you, and you'll end up quitting really early on. So enjoy the process, I, enjoy I what apply, you're doing. I apply this thought to it as an educator, right? As an educator, kids know when you're not being authentic, mm. and they can. They can figure you out just like that. Yeah. And for me, that same process of how I connect with my students, connect with my colleagues and support them and support people in my community, I apply that same process and that same those same actions to our cardboard community. Mm. And just being my authentic self and sharing my story. Let's have discourse about cards. Let's have discourse about society because society is so directly connected to cards. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's hard to separate the two. Um, and that, and that's okay. Um, cause it's a part of who you are. It's a part of your journey. Sure. And I just enjoy moments like this Clark being able to meet new people, mm. being able to be a participant, um, in their cardboard story, just as much as they're participate, a participant in my cardboard yeah. story. True. Uh, amazing. Um, I wanted to just talk about one of your, specifically one of your pieces of hobby content you call Lost and Found Card of the Week. Uh, wondering how that got started and um, yeah, you want to share what that's about? Yeah, so on my journey, um, I, I wanted to figure out like, as I tell my cardboard story, my cardboard story is, yes, that's awesome to share, but it's also bigger than me. So how can I also ensure that I'm giving back? And, you know, that's where the Lost and Found card of the week, you know, started. Just going through my personal PC and finding cards that, you know, whether I'm connected to it or, you know, I, I think this card would, I think every card deserves a home and I'm sure someone out there would appreciate this card. Yeah. And, and that's how it begins. So just this authentic way of another way of connecting with, people in the community because monetary value is good, right? Sure. I get it. We live in a society where m money drives a lot of the things because we got to pay bills. We got to be able to live. Yep. But I also think the, the, the human wealth of like giving to people is so empower empowering and it's so in encouraging because it just creates a, a positive cycle of not necessarily like karma. I don't think that's the word that I'm looking for, but I'm just a firm believer that if you give to the universe, the universe will give back to you hmm. in many ways. Um, one way could be monetary. Um, one way could be through good friendships and good connections. Sure. And, and I think we need to value those as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I enjoy my cards of the week. But I also, I, I really look forward to 
you know, my uh, lost and found cards of the week, because just that exploration of going through right. my PC or receiving something that someone gave me and being able to pay it forward. Um, I just think it's, it's dope. And then it also turned into like, well, if no one in the community claims this card, you know, I found a um, card club that I sponsor. I'm one of the sponsors for in New mm. York. Um, and he has his own podcast, um, with, uh, one of his, uh, collecting friends. Um, his name is Craig, Craig and Carmine. And, um, you know, um, it just became this authentic thing where him and I, you know, we met over Instagram. I actually did one of their shows with them about human capital. Yeah. And, um, I just been sponsoring being, I've just been a sponsor of his club ever since. Cool. So you know, if it doesn't go to someone in the community, it's going to his students who are being exposed to the hobby in a in a in a, a very versatile way. Be as it be as it on the investor side, and then also on the collector side, mm-hmm. um, because I think when you look at it through the investor lens and you're teaching a kid about the hobby that way, there's a lot of skills for them to learn, yeah. right? And there's a lot of things that they can learn about market value. Um, stats and data is you know literacy there's so many components that they can grow at with cards for sure but he's also teaching them that that human um value as well and being able to connect and explore and share and you know learn about different genres of cards um outside of the sports card world so yeah um that's cool you know i i I, I look forward to every week looking through my pc that if someone in the community don't claim this card I know it's going to a great place and one of his students are going to be super excited to have. Yeah. Nice. Nice. I could tell you're an educator because, yeah, you know, you have this, uh, usually have this uh, greater or bigger perspective um, when it comes to the hobby. You know, the hobby is more than just the hobby in a lot of ways. And, and I think um, uh, really my last question before we get to the rapid fire um, section um, is that in your latest post, you've, you've, you refer to something called a zero sum mindset and how that's the only impediment to us reaching our full potential as a society. Um, but you also relate that, like I said, back to the hobby. So I was wondering if you could explain that a little bit, bit more in detail and what you meant by that. Yeah, I, I, I just think in terms of how that comment relates to society, I think we live like we live in this competitive nature of society. Mm-hmm. I get it. I understand it. But I'll, as, a, as an athlete, right, um, and I don't want to get too much into the semantics because that's also connected to, like, race and how, like, when we operate from a zero-sum mindset, we, we in terms, are all impacted. Hmm. So, for example, if I have two segregated schools, regardless of income and wealth, or the, the haves and the haves-nots, both groups are suffering because they don't have a melting pot of growth and learning from different people's perspective mm. and, and having this balance of windows and mirrors to look through um, mirrors to like see themselves, but also windows to understand the world of others and the experiences of others. And, um, you know, I, I think oftentimes that zero, that zero sum mindset is present in the hobby. Um, but, you know, the optimist in me looks at all the things that we do as collectors. We connect with one another. We share our stories. We like each other's posts. 
yeah. you talk about cards in this like authentic way, um, in this pure way. And I say, these are all innate qualities that we have in those moments. We're using these innate qualities. Hmm. Let's take those same qualities and practice them in our everyday life, because there are people who are impacted by policies, procedures, structural and systemic things, whether it's it's racism, gender related across the board. And I think if we took the time to use the very skills that we use in a hobby and we apply that to our daily life or in the experiences that we have with the most traditionally marginalized people, we'd be able to, to really uh, heighten our emotional intelligence, improve uh, our practicing of like authentic emp- uh, uh, empathy and uh we can be able to like truly, truly impact the world in a positive way outside of the hobby. Yeah. And I just think the uniqueness of, of cards, it just creates these things that we do organically. But when we get to the real world, we're, we're emotionally driven because of the political aisle that we sit on, uh, this political belief that we may have. And I think if we start to look past those beliefs, those sometimes what can be like tribal beliefs and go back to like, wait, this very same person I was talking to about cards, Mm. we had this connection. And because he's talking about a lived experience about society or something societal that I may not agree with, let me take the time to listen to his or her story or their story. Yeah. And, And let me ask questions so I can learn and grow because then I would be able to realize that, hey, what you're talking about isn't it about me. You know, how can I help so you won't experience these things or what can I do to support you? Yeah. And and I think if we we find that landing spot um, and, and, and be comfortable with uncomfortable conversations, hmm. uh, I think we can all grow, whether we agree or disagree politically. Yeah. Um, I love that. You know. Yeah. Samuel, thanks for sharing that perspective. And I certainly agree as a former journalist, you know, uh, we're always, it's, it's, I guess, our, our job to get both sides. And I know that's difficult for a lot of members of our society to do um, for the reasons you cited. And hopefully cards in some small way or in some large way in the future can, can help bridge that gap. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but really appreciate your time. Uh, like I uh, mentioned off the air, I, you know, I really we always like to end off our interviews with some kind of rapid fire questions, uh, kind of okay. kind of a fun way to end the interview. So if you don't mind, uh, I'm going to ask you about five of them. All right. Okay. Uh, first one, we always ask this, what's your favorite PC card at the moment and why? Whew, I, I can do it better. <laughs> you can show me. <laughs> oh, Will Chamberlain. Wow. SGC3. Yeah. Amazing. So- on my uh, on my Instagram, I, I had a post that just a scheduled post that just dropped, mm-hmm. and that's going to lead into my card of the week on Monday. Yeah. Um, so and it's going to so it's interesting. I haven't showed that card to anyone, but you were the first person to see. I'm honored. <laughs> so uh, hopefully, this podcast, the visual of this podcast, doesn't come out um, before I drop my card of the week, but. Um, I got those last week, uh, both the in action and the rookie card. Oh, amazing. That's it's, a nice it's card. Been, it's been a whirlwind of 
good emotions. And, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm happy about it. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, well, the second question, I don't know if you have uh, obtained it already with that Wilt Chamberlain uh, rookie. Do you have a grail card or card that you're still chasing? And, and what is that? I would say uh, Hank Aaron, 1954 Hank Aaron rookie card. Yep. Love it. Uh, that would be my next one. Okay. If you look on our fivecardguys.com website, I think in the bio, in my bio, that's my grail card, the Hank Aaron 1954. The orange I, background's beautiful. Yeah, I have a I have a top ten list of my grail cards. Yeah. That's one. Hank of Aaron is, is on that top ten list. Absolutely. All right. Um, how far have you gone to go to a live card show? Um, the the farthest have been all local in in, in okay. PA and the Philly area. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, number four, what do you hope to see in the hobby over the next five years? Um, I hope to see authentic and equitable entry points of access for all people, especially the most marginalized groups. Um, I said this before on a, um, a podcast show that when we look at the imagery of cards, 95 to 97% of the people on cards are a person of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some of our most traditionally marginalized communities are people of color. Right. And a lot of them grow up to be these people on cards. Mm. And I think if we're trying to create authentic entry points of access that are equitable for all kids to be involved in a hobby, girl, boy, or other, um, I think we need to figure out how, and I use my story, like I didn't have a local hobby store in my neighborhood yeah i didn't know anything about card shows so in terms of sustainability what are we doing to tap into that new target market um and to expose people to collecting so kids can have the opportunities to be kids and explore their childhood in another way yeah absolutely Um, so that that's what i hope to see and my hope is Maybe one day I can be a driver of that and be connected to the industry in one way to help do that in a sustainable way. Because I think we have great examples and exemplars of that with like in New York, my boy Craig, who has, you know, the after school card uh, Mm -hmm. program. And, you know, predominantly all his kids are black and brown. So these kids are being exposed to cards and they're seeing people who look like them on these cards and it just gives them a way to you know, explore themselves in, in, in another way in, in terms of the daily stuff that they may go through. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think that's important. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I always say to myself, you know, if, if I come into a lot of money one day, I, I would love to open up a, a, a car store in my, in my neighborhood. Where yeah. I That'd be an amazing dream for sure. And the last question, um, any uh, loyal podcast listener will know the last question of these rapid fire always has a Canadian angle because we are based out of Toronto, Canada, okay. uh, north from you guys. Um, so I know you're a basketball card collector. Um, Mike, the question is, well, it's more of a fill in the blank. The best Toronto Raptor of all time is. <laughs> Ooh, the best <laughs> Toronto Raptor of all time is. Now, there's many ways you can say this. <laughs> okay. As someone who watched 90s, mid to late 90s basketball, 
you would say Vince Carter. Mm-hmm. As someone who still watched basketball growing up, you would say Kyle Lowry. Yeah. Because he got them to the promised land. Even though he wasn't the focal point, Right. he delivered. Yeah. And he's probably going to have a stature one day in Toronto. Yeah, he's retiring uh, in he Toronto. He doesn't already now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, w- I, would say, I would say it would be between those two. Okay. And then my next person would be Kawhi Leonard because he came there as the man mm-hmm. and he took them to the promised land and he was the best player in the world yeah. and he got Toronto an NBA championship. Yeah. So I, I would say out of those three, um, you can't say Tracy McGrady because he was just so young and he didn't blossom until he left. Sure. Um, it's hard for me to say someone like Del Curry. Mm. Uh, uh, so, you know... <laughs> Yeah, I like those so answers. I, I would say, I would say, I would say between those three. Okay, and then but, I was also thinking about like maybe I got this wrong. I was thinking about Sam Mitchell. Did he play for Toronto for some time? But I know his main stuff was with the Timberwolves. Right. Um, but it, it's it's got to be those three. Yeah. Um, if we had a poll, uh, we've asked this multiple times uh, to um, basketball card collectors that have come on the show. And Vince Carter will be leading by a mile in that poll. Yeah. It's the yeah. first one. And, it's and you know, we grew up in the 90s, too. So I mean, Air Canada. <laughs> Air Canada, Vince Sanity. Yeah. Yeah. You can't forget those um, highlight reel dunks either. So yeah. I mean, and, and even like, and, and Toronto's had some good players like Alvin Williams, yeah. who's a Philadelphia, another Philadelphia product, hmm. you know, with a, a good guard there at one time. Gay Allen Iris in a lot of trouble. Right. In, that, in that playoff series, um, but Toronto's had some some good players, but yeah. you know it's 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 got to be it's got to be those three between those three. Yeah, and if it's Vince Carter, even though he didn't take them to the promised land, he put Toronto basketball on the map for, for a sure. long time. And uh, you know, as he was going towards the end of his career, I was wondering, like, does Toronto sign him so he could retire <laughs> a Raptor? Yeah. You know, so there were some talks. Yeah, there were some talks, but I guess it didn't come to fruition. But still, uh, Vince Carter is a beloved. Now he is. When he left, we there was some uh, animosity, or there was some. Of course, uh, of course. Yeah, there was some uh, <laughs> venom unleashed. But uh, we've uh, we've accepted him again uh, <laughs> as a oh, as an honorary Torontonian. But uh, Samuel, appreciate your time once again. We re- I really enjoyed our conversation, and uh, yeah, wish you all the best of luck in the hobby. Clark, thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me on. It's been a blast getting to know you in this space. And um, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to us connecting more and, and sharing our stories and learning from each other. Awesome. All right. Uh, thanks again to Samuel Evans um, for the interview. We really appreciate his time and his perspective. Definitely brings a unique perspective to the hobby. And we really like the positivity he brings to the hobby itself with this content. So um, yeah, go check him out at the Sports Card Collector on Instagram and all uh, the different socials he's on. All right, let's end off this episode with our regular weekly segment we call Pick One. And this is where each of us pick two cards usually or two players, and then we debate which one we would rather invest in. Kyung, do you want to start things off for us again? For sure. Uh, I'm going to go not cards. Um, if you guys had, let's just say 5,000 bucks, right? Between these two players right now, as of July 13th, 2023, (laughs) 
Would you invest in Shohei Otani or Mike Trout? Five thousand bucks. Oh man, that's a good one. <laughs> Johnny, you go first. Shohei Otani or Mike Trout? Mm-hmm. Yeah, based on current values as of July thirteenth. Um, and Mike Trout, Mike Trout is out. Is so four to he, eight weeks. He's, uh, yeah, still injured. And just throwing this out there, we did talk about Trout. He hasn't played a full season since 2019 or yes. something like that, right? Just an FYI. And that might continue <laughs> for the rest of his career. <laughs> He's 31 now, yeah. You know, the common sense, and I think this, this theme has been coming up a lot in the last couple of episodes, the common sense is to obviously... Buy the buy low and you sell high, right? And obviously we know who is the sell high and who is the buy low. Uh, but I'm still gonna pick. Maybe it's the FOMO in me, but I'm still gonna pick Shoyotani. I think he, other than possibly getting some sort of severe injury, I think he's on the trajectory of showing everybody that this is the, this is the true unicorn that you wait for generations upon generations of sports athletes. And I think Shohei has the chance, maybe not stat-wise, but when it's all said and done, he might have the chance to just, you know, maybe be like the the greatest player of all time. I don't know. Like, I think a lot of people are getting more and more convinced of that fact. And I am, I think I'm going to jump on board of that bandwagon and go with Shoyatani. And, you know, even as even as a fan, um, it's just so exciting to watch him right now. So even if you're putting money into something and you're just enjoying a card, let's say you put five grand into some awesome Shoyo Otani mm-hmm. card, which I mean, in, in current state, I don't think five grand gets you much. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah at least you know you get to enjoy the ride. And you, if you're, you're if you're going to spend that much money, you're probably a, a decent Shoyo Otani fan. So yeah, it's Otani for me. Well, you kind of alluded to it in your explanation of why you're choosing Shohei. Like with $5,000, you know, I'm going to go for about three trouts. You can stick with half a Shohei Otani card if you want. (laughs) Yeah, it's, um, well, okay. You you might get one good one, right? One really good one. And, you know, I could find two to three good Mike Trout cards. I I can't quit Mike Trout, man. Like I thought this... Up until just before the All-Star break, you know, um, he was doing so well. <laughs> and then he gets another freak, what, a hamate bone injury? Ugh. It's, it's How long is he out for? Like yeah, up to two crazy. months. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. It's brutal. It's rough. Um, as early as four weeks, but I'm not holding my breath on that. So I, I think Trout's a generational player still, and he's only 31. Like, yeah, he's getting up there, but he still has at least, I think, four or five good years in him, right? Where he could just put up the stats, and he's kind of just like, you know, still waiting for that one year where he could put a full season together since 2019, and I think he can do it. It's not going to be this year, but I think it's coming, and um, and then people are going to recognize how, hopefully recognize how good he is, and, you know, Guys like our friend Scotty B. Cards will, uh, you know, remind people what his war is and, you know, 
He's he's just the longer he plays, he just crosses another guy off the list that he just passed, right? He's like that good, and he's already has that much good stats behind his career. So I'm gonna stick with Trout just because the value is there more so than Shohei. Although I'm full mowing hard on Shohei still, you know. So <laughs> <laughs> I am too. Um, it's interesting. I think I think. Uh, the exit, where you exit plays the crucial role because I think what's inevitable is Shoei's on to his third MVP so, or second, second or third, um, second, second, second MVP. Um, and he's, he's ridiculous. Uh, so, you know, you're going to enjoy that investment right now to the end of the season. And you're not going to get that out of Trout, that immediate. So I like Trout would be the, the logical sense in terms of the longer mm-hmm. term. But you like think you buy that, you're like, sweet, I finally got a Trout. And then it's like, it's locked in your, your, your safe or whatever. And it's just like, you don't hear from Trout. Whereas that Otani is like what John was saying. It's like, you're actually enjoying that Otani because you know his trajectory till the end of this year, it's looking pretty good. He's doing stuff that, honestly, if he had 60 home, if he did, breaks Judge's record uh, for for Jeez. home runs in in the American League, like, I don't That's why I'm saying it's like, and and another MVP, it's like, uh, that's what I'm thinking for the short term. But then long term, mm-hmm. you have Trout, right? Yeah, so, and then the question is, do you know, what, what are you going to buy us? a rock hard of Shohei, <laughs> yeah. you know, but uh, I mean, I, I still think there's still decent opportunities at, at the five grand where, you know, there's, there's potential in cards. So I'm going to stay a selective Shohei Otani actually, which is crazy because um, I'm just, I'm just like uh, realizing that, you know, um, if you're in it for long term, like you have to really just forget about the cards and and be on that two, three, four, five, ten year cycle and not worry about your purchases. But I rarely do that. I say I'm gonna do that, but there always comes a time where it's like, okay, time to sell. Right. And literally, um, I feel like the same way with Otani right now and my card collecting habits right now. Is that's what I'm leaning towards, which is crazy because you're buying at yeah, super man. peak. But he's just so good. He's just so good. Yeah, I agree with you. But you know, if he breaks Judge's record and you know pitches as well he as he does, that 5K, you know, it's not even gonna get you a raw card. It's gonna be one of those listings where it's a raw card and a please read description on it because there's something wrong with it, but it's still gonna be 5K. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I like that one. I like that pick one. All right, uh, Johnny, do you want to go next? Yeah. So sticking with the niche sports theme mm-hmm. and our last Friday guest will probably enjoy this one. Mm. Um, we're going to go with investment. Choose WWE cards or UFC cards. Mm. Oh. It's a hard one because I don't know too much about it, you know. Um, I knew zero about wrestling until Shane came on our show. Uh, shout out to Sports Card Nobody um, for coming on to explain the history of wrestling cards. And so I, I definitely appreciate, you know, the value of wrestling cards, though. But um, Did you watch wrestling as a kid? Sorry? 
Did you watch wrestling as a kid? Yeah, you know, like uh, the Hulk Hogan days, Randy Macho Man, you know, Iron Sheik, the old Ultimate school. Warrior. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think, man, I almost treat UFC kind of like F1 too. It was the flavor of the year and it's kind of fallen out a little bit. But I still think there's a lot more potential in UFC, right, um, as a sport. I know wrestling fans are very passionate, you know, and people who are into wrestling are really into wrestling. But um, I think UFC as a, you know, as a, <laughs> I don't want to say real sport because I don't want wrestling fans to come after me. <laughs> but um, um, I think there's just more potential in UFC and like newer um, athletes coming up that could, that could um, be a good potential card to collect that we haven't even heard of yet. So I think the sport is just growing in general, and and um, I'll, I'll stick with UFC, but not not totally confident with it. This is interesting because normally I would have said UFC too because it's it's yeah I would enjoy it more modern collecting. I like the prism, you know, all that stuff. But you specifically said for an investment purpose. I think there's historical sales in wrestling that it stabilizes the market a lot more than the UFC market. So I'm going to actually go WWE from an investment standpoint. I, I grew up watching WWF. So like, uh, it was obviously Hulk Hogan era, you know, Andre the giant. And I know those cards are highly sought after still. And that's probably where I would play personally from an investment standpoint is probably more of the, the the uh, historic markets that have had mm-hmm. previous success and um, uh, UFC it's like man you know you know it like you're one punch away from you know your career being done you know and there's no longevity uh, in that in my opinion so until the market well UFC in general is such a young sport right especially modern UFC I would say. When we grew up, UFC was was a totally different sport. Right. Like it was like Pat Smith, you know, like you got guys that were just going after people and it was just so different, right? Um yeah, so I'm gonna go WWE. Yeah, it took me it took me a little bit to think about this, but once I gave it a bit of thought, I think it's fairly easy. I'm also W on the train of WWE. And I think it's because a little bit of what Clark said, like flavor of the month for UFC. but And I don't have stats to, to prove in front of me, but I'm going to assume the WWE fan base is a lot more, way bigger mm. and way more hardcore about WWE than the UFC fan base. UFC was pop, really popular for all of us, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. And it's a lot, I think it's lost a lot of its luster in terms of true fan base. Uh, especially from the general audience, like sports fan audience. And UFC doesn't, you know, necessarily have any real big iconic stars, right? Like, and, and if you don't have a giant growing generic fan base, so even like upcoming rookies and studs and stuff like that, there, there's not going to be many big chases, right? Whereas on the WWE end, I think especially in uh, young males growing up, WWE captured like almost all of us in that sort of like Hulk Hogan 
Ultimate Warrior mm-hmm. era. And there's a bit of a gap. And it captured almost all of us again in the sort of Steve Austin, The Rock era, right? So there are plenty of iconic studs to collect and go after in WWE, especially if you're talking about autos, right? Like Hulk Hogan. I think the latest Chrome or whichever product has is a prism that has like Hulk Hogan autos. I don't know if they ever get, ever get this done, but if they ever get like Dwayne, you know, Dwayne Johnson, the rock autos, like that would probably explode to the moon. Yeah. So I think, I think for me, it, it's a pretty easy one just because of the, the collectability of characters. Like we usually talk about. Um, it's a lot easier to transcend just, you know, not just within niche sports. I think you like WWE has a chance to capture like the three of us. We probably have will invest in the rock gold refractor over somebody from the UFC, right? So, hmm. yeah, WWE. Okay. All right. Uh, well, I have one point that I just remembered um, Shane saying in the interview is that for some reason, WWE fans, um, when it comes to collectibles, cars isn't a huge thing yet, right? They would rather buy the championship belt replicas, you know, and hang that up on the uh, their walls, and or like you know. Oh, that was a that was a dream of mine back in the day, <laughs> right? So, you know, so cards isn't a huge thing yet, but you know, um, it could very well be in the future. All right, we'll end off with my pick one, which is more conventional pick one. It's baseball, and I promise. This is going to be my last Ellie de la Cruz. I feel like we talk about him a lot <laughs> in each episode. But um, on one side, I got the 2022 Bowman Chrome Ellie de la Cruz Speckle Refractor Auto, numbered to 299, BGS 9.5, 10 Gem Mint. And on the other side, the 2017 Bowman Chrome Prospect Auto of Ronald Acuna Jr. Base, BGS 9.5, same grade, uh, 10 Auto. And they both sold for just under seventeen hundred, so same price point. You got Ellie on one side with the speckle refractor number to two ninety nine, and then you got Ronald Acuna Jr. his base auto twenty seventeen Bowman Chrome. Um, I'm gonna go Ellie De La Cruz on this real quick because I did not see that coming. I've 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 I've, uh, I've had a relationship with. Acuna Bowman Crumbs for a long time. So I've seen that card go up and down and up and down and up and down and yeah. up and down. <laughs> and it's a base card that I don't think a BGS 9.5 has surpassed 2,500. I would be wrong on that. Um, maybe it surpassed 3,000 at one point, but that was maybe peak, peak. Um, whereas I think Ellie still like if he ends up like finishing the year strong he has a chance actually at the rookie of the year he starts he continues to put up number and i think that special any uh, parallel of ellie could go high who knows right at that point that's where emotions get involved and you know people start doing dumb stuff right so this is where you could potentially sell that Ellie for $5,000 down the near future. Whereas I don't see that with the Acuna base, right? So uh, long-term, obviously, you know, you know, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even hesitate going long-term with Ellie because I believe in his talent. He's 21 years old, still big frame, six, five, six, six. He's super athletic, five pro player, you know, just has an idea hitting 
as well. So I'm going to go, I really like Ellie, man. Like I, even for the long term, I think he's going to be an unbelievable baseball player. And don't get me wrong. Like I still, Cooney is my boy. Like, you know, it's just the base. <laughs> if it was a refractor, okay. I think. And uh, just, just a uh, clarification, yeah. uh, at its peak, it sold for just over 5K. The base auto of Ronald Acuna. Yes. Holy jeez, the BGS? BGS 9.5, 10. The BGS? I'm a, PSA I'm a 10 the went 4, 7K. 7. 8? 7? Yeah, so I, I, I would say true value at the peak is probably 4K. 5K probably came out because <laughs> people are being stupid. Yeah, real value that you know. Think Trout Bowman Chromes are five K low, right? So I mean, if it'll take years to for Acuna, I think to get there, it will be a slow, steady pace. Yeah. Do you do you know the pops on uh, twenty seventeen? I'd imagine they're printed a lot less than anything recently. The pop count? Did you say the BGS nine point five is five twenty three? And this is when Acuna's auto auto was nice. This is when he wrote with his right hand. (laughs) And then after 2017, he started writing his autos with his left hand. <laughs> you got to save that throwing wrist. <laughs> okay. Um, the last couple of these Ellie De La Cruz 1v1s, I have completely drank the Ellie mm-hmm. Kool-Aid. I am not going to do that for a third or fourth time. I am picking Acuna. And I think Hyung... Hyung is right in that there is more potential to go upwards because Ali has, you know, like can win the rookie of the year. I feel like it's, um, I feel like it's baked in already. And you can, you can actually make that argument for Acuna too. I think Acuna cards have gone up too because he's just been so far ahead of everybody else in terms of the NL MVP race, right? So I think both have that baked in. So it's even in terms of like potential for the rest of the year. Um, for me, you might have you might have got me if it wasn't the speckle. I think all of the riffraff, and you're kind of probably already seeing it in some of the prices of like purple and some of these other like more random um, or unliked parallels. And I think speckle is a part of that crowd of like generally unliked. Early on, you're just gonna go for whatever you can afford, and you're just gonna grab it. But once people start to, you know, the the cloud nine goggles come off and they're like, okay, let me really think about it here. I think Speckle is one of those cards. If and when Ellie's cards correct, those are the ones that take a, a bigger hit than obviously like a gold refractor and some of the classics. So because of that, and on the flip side, Acuna, I don't necessarily want to pick pace. It's a little boring. But I feel like Acuna is... He's one of the golden boys of baseball hobby and he was lost for a bit because of all the injuries, et cetera, et cetera. And I think people were kind of feeling like maybe he's not a part of that crowd anymore, but he's quickly proving again, no, 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 hang on. Like I'm still a part of that crowd. Don't forget about me. So I think for Acuna in terms of investment, I think he's starting to build up a little bit more confidence in terms of his floor. So I feel there's, it's way less risky for a loss on the Acuna side. So it, it becomes a, a pretty okay. easy choice for me. Boring, albeit, but I think it becomes an easy choice. Acuna. All right. Acuna for John. Ellie for Hyung. I'm going to break the tie. I don't know if you guys listened to my episode with Chris Begg 
last week when he was on, and then we're talking about Cunha, and he shared his story playing with the Cunha senior. You got to listen to that episode if you missed it. That was pretty cool. He, yeah, yeah, he knew yeah, yeah. Uh, Cunha Jr. when he was three, that's four, right. five years old. <laughs> and and yeah, uh, no, that's just right. hanging around. <laughs> but anyway, um, we are talking in that episode that he could be a 40-75 player. The only one in this exclusive club, right? <laughs> that and those numbers are ridiculous and insane. And then, um, and then I, I kind of threw Hyung under the under the bus, saying I blamed him for not investing in Acuna cards because he was scaring me with his knee problems, right? So I'm not gonna let Hyung, <laughs> you know, persuade me out of Acuna this time, right? I'm gonna go. I'm all in. I'm all in. Forty seventy five club, even if it's a base auto, <laughs> VGS nine point five. Oh man, Ronald Acuna is like he's the man. So. Um, and I don't mind base autos because, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's not a problem for me. And it it wasn't necessarily it wasn't necessarily that Acuna wasn't a great. It was for the price where his knee was at. Because think wait, it's wait. like that that blue auto yeah, fair. that fair. I sold was eighteen k eighteen k. It's like that's peak peak, and it's like that's like retracted like half. So it's like now it's like the rebuy. Okay. Maybe it's the time if he does forty seventy five yeah. and his prices are at that <laughs> level, then yeah, I think it would be a great buying opportunity. But yeah, his knee, his knee, obviously with with the stolen base uh, time, yeah. like the time rule and everything, it helps. Which we talked about yeah. in the beginning of the season, it's going to help those guys that can really push, right? So yeah, yeah, no, fair it's, point. Uh, just clarifying <laughs> that. But I'm going with Acuna. I'm going with Acuna this time. <laughs> and uh, I kind of agree with John's point about the speckle refractor. It's not my favorite. And the 299, uh, those cards that are, you know, 299, number to 399, just does, you know, it's just, it's, just, uh, it's just odd to me. So Acuna it is. All right. Uh, that ends this episode. Uh, thank you for staying tuned. And, and we'll have a brand new episode for you guys shortly. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to Cards to the Moon. We'd really appreciate you subscribing to our podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And you can also connect with each of us on Instagram at 5 Card Guys, or you can follow Hyung at Integrity Sports Cards, or John at Trade You at Recess. You can also check us out at 5CardGuys.com. Thanks again, and hope to connect soon.